All right, keep your Bibles open there. We're going to stay in Romans chapter 5, verse 2. And you'll remember we're in this section of Romans where Paul is laying out the benefits of salvation, why it's so good to be a Christian, what comes with being uh, those who are justified by faith. And you remember he listed the first one, which was we now have peace with God. And that's an amazing benefit. It means that we're no longer enemies of God, that we're no longer rebels against God, but now we are sons and daughters of the King through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's an amazing benefit of salvation. And it's important that we started with peace with God because it actually serves as the foundation for all the other benefits that Paul is going to list here. For instance, in this passage, he's going to say that we also now have access to God. But here's the thing. Keep this in mind, church. You wouldn't want access to God unless there was peace with God first, right? Uh, For instance, if my son is in trouble and pitching a fit, he doesn't want access to daddy because he knows there's no peace there, right? So he doesn't want to come near me at that time. There needs to be peace first, and then he wants to be around me. Or if you were anything like me in high school, and I hope you weren't, it was not uncommon for you to go and just pay a visit to the principal's office. And so if you ever go to the principal's office, you know that you can't just go right in, right? You go in there and you have to sit kind of in a chair or on a bench. You can't have access to his office until the secretary is going to say something like, okay, you can go in now. And I remember thinking, well, I can, but do I have to? Because (laughs) I know that if I go in there, it's nothing good is going to happen from that. Okay. So I wish there would be peace and then I would gladly go in. Well, Paul is saying here in the same way, we have to start with peace with God because that makes access to God a joy rather than a sentencing. That we now can go into the presence of God and have access to him by faith in Christ. This is one of the benefits of salvation. But there's a problem too, isn't there? Because the Bible says that our sin actually separates us from God, right? The Bible says that our sin creates this chasm between us and God. The holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. And no matter what we do, we cannot bridge that chasm on our own. We have been separated from God by our own sin. So here's my question. If it's true that we have access to God, here's the question we need to consider. How can we have access to God if our sin separates us from God? That's a pretty big problem, isn't it? If our sin separates us, and the Bible says it does, how can we have access to God if our sin separates us from God? Well, look at verse 2 with me again very quickly. This is what Paul says, Through him, being Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. You see, access in some ways is like the peace with God that we talked about last week. Because if you remember last week, when we were talking about peace with God, we said that it goes undervalued today. It's neglected today. People don't think much about it. And we said the reason for that is because everybody thinks they already have it. Everybody on earth thinks they have peace with God. So why are you going to desire something that you think you already have? It's the same way with access. We read this verse and it doesn't do anything for us. We're not amazed by it at all. And why is that? It's because we think everybody on earth already has unlimited, unfettered access to God. So why would we make a big deal about something that we think everybody already has? 
But here's my question to you, right? What if we thought that way about the president in the United States? Well, what if everybody in America thought that they had unlimited, unfettered access to the president? And so let's say he was speaking somewhere in Greenville, and you thought, well, I've got access just like everybody else, so you're going to boldly and confidently approach the president of the United States, maybe even run towards him. You're going to be welcomed into his presence? No, no. <laughs> you will get to meet a bunch of nice secret service agents, won't you? You will be immediately detained. If you wanted to talk to the president, how would you do that? You can't call him. You can't text him. You don't have his number. It's not like you can go to his house because, again, you will be immediately detained. You might live in America, but you have absolutely no access to the president whatsoever. The only way that you get access to the president of the United States is if someone who knows him comes and gets you and brings you to him and introduces you to him. Here's the amazing thing. That word access in verse 2, that's exactly what it means. In the Greek, this word access referred to someone who was being brought before and introduced to a king or an emperor. And you might say, okay, pastor, I get it, but what's the big deal? The big deal is this is absolutely unprecedented. I mean, again, we just look right over this and we don't think anything about it. This would have floored the church in Rome. They couldn't have believed this at the time. Paul's saying they had access to God. They understood much better than we do today that this just did not happen. I mean, think back to ancient Judaism, right? Your everyday Jewish man or woman did not have access to God. They might have been the people of God. They didn't have access to God. Your everyday Jewish man or woman could not go into the temple and pull back the curtain to the Holy of Holies and go in and take out their Torah and have quiet time with God. Couldn't happen. If they entered into that place, they would be struck dead immediately. You cannot enter into the presence of God and live because of our sin. You couldn't get close to God at all. In fact, the way that the temple was set up, Gentiles could not get close at all. The very outer court to the temple was called the court of Gentiles. That's as close as they could get to God. The very next court that was just a little bit closer was the court of women. So women could get a little closer. And then men could get just a little bit closer. And priests could get a little bit closer. But you still could not get close to God at all. God only met with one person in one place, one time a year, under very specific requirements. He met with the high priest in the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. That was the one place where God was said to meet with man. And only after the high priest went through all sorts of cleansing and everything else to prepare him to enter in to the presence of God. God kept people at a distance and he did it for their own good. Now, how does that sit with you? You might think, well, how is that possible? How is it good for people to be kept at a distance from God? The answer is very simple. It's because God is holy and man is sinful and sinful man cannot enter into the presence of the holy God and live. And so it was an act of God's mercy and grace that he kept us at a distance from himself. I mean, if you want an example of this, you just think back to the Garden of Eden, right? Adam and Eve, God gave them access to the tree of life. They could come and eat of that tree as often as they wanted to, and they would live forever, right? They were in paradise. But then they sinned against God. They rebelled against God. 
They decided they wanted to be God. And so what did God do? He kicked them out of the garden. And you remember, what did he do after that? He put up some cherubim there with flaming swords to prevent them from being allowed back into the garden and specifically from the tree of life. And people might look at that and go, well, that's not fair. That's very mean of God that he would keep them from the tree of life. It was an act of mercy and grace on his part. The reason God kept them at a distance from the tree of life is because God did not want them to eat of that tree and live forever in a sinful state. It was an act of God's mercy and grace that he would not allow them to go back. And in the same way, it was an act of mercy and grace on God's part that he kept sinful man at a distance from himself so that we might not die by entering into his holy presence. We had no access to God, folks. This is what our sin did to us. But then something amazing happened. When Jesus died on the cross from our sins, the curtain was torn, was it not? That curtain that separated us from the presence of God, that prevented us from entering into the presence of God, it was torn forever. Jesus made a way for us to enter into the presence of the holy God and live. It's because when a person will turn from their sins and put their faith and trust in what Jesus Christ has done for them, their sin problem is taken care of. God clothes them in the righteousness of Christ, and so they're allowed to enter into His presence and not die, but actually live forever. Jesus is the one who makes this possible. Do you, don't miss this point. This is what Paul's saying here. Justification ends our separation. That's a beautiful benefit of being a Christian, folks. That once we were far from God, we were separated from God, we had no access to God, but because of what Jesus has done, any person on earth who would turn from their sins and trust in Him, they will be justified, and that separation is ended forever. Jesus comes and introduces us to the Father. It's amazing. and actually reminds me of this very famous story from the Civil War. There was a soldier during the Civil War who received news that his father had died, leaving his mother and sister to fend for themselves, but he knew they were not going to be able to fend for themselves during wartime and live, so he needed to request a leave from service to be able to go and take care of her. Well, he decided, i got to go speak to the president. So he goes all the way to Washington, D.C., and he goes right up to the gates of the White House and says, I need to go speak to the president. They're like, okay, who are you? He says, well, I'm a soldier, blah, blah, blah. They're like, do you have an appointment? No, don't have an appointment. Well, do you know the president? No, never met him before. Voted for him, don't know him. though. <laughs> well, what makes you think you're getting in today? He said, well, I need to speak to him. They said, it doesn't matter if you need to speak to him. You don't just go in and speak to the president. That's not how this works. And so he felt defeated, sat down on a bench. He was down in the mouth and a boy came up to him and said, what's wrong, soldier? He didn't want to speak to a boy at this point. He feels like his life is ruined. But he says he has nothing better to do, so he tells the boy why he's there. And he ends by saying, and I'm worried that unless I can get home to my mother and sister, they are going to die. They can't fend for themselves. And unless I get access to the president, I can't have a leave from service. And the boy said, oh, come with me. So they go right past the guards, right through the gate, into the White House, down the hall, right to the door of the Oval Office, where the boy knocks on the door, opens the door, and says, Daddy, this man needs to speak to you. 
It was Tad Lincoln who just happened to be walking the grounds outside of the White House. And so he was able to request his leave from service, but don't miss that. The soldier only gained access to the Father through the Son. And Paul's saying that's exactly how it works with God. We only gain access to the Father through the Son. There is no other way. Jesus comes and saves us from our sins. He rescues us from our sin. And He takes us and presents us to the Father and introduces us. 1 Peter 3.18 says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. See, folks, this is great news for us. This is great news for us because here's one of the benefits I want to tell you about this morning. It, because we now have access to God through Jesus, it means that all believers have equal access to God because access comes only through Jesus. All believers, don't miss that. That's very important there. All believers have equal access to God. Because access to God comes only through Jesus. You see, being a pastor is interesting for, for a whole lot of reasons, but, but just one I'll tell you about is anytime I go to any event, doesn't matter what it is, could be a car wash, but mostly it's meetings, dinners, family get-togethers, holiday meal, could be Thanksgiving, could be Christmas, whatever the case is. And it comes time where we need to offer a prayer. Guess who always gets voluntold to pray? Me. <laughs> Every single time. If you need someone to pray, it's going to be me. Why? Because I'm a pastor. People think I have the proverbial red phone to God. <laughs> like they don't have it. You know, I know they would never communicate it this way, but people sometimes tend to believe or at least insinuate that I've got some sort of special access to God that they don't have. So as long as the pastor prays, well, God will surely listen to our prayers then. As long as the pastor prays, I know he will hear us. Can I just tell you this morning, you have the same access to God I do. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we have equal access to God. You don't need to go through me. You can go through Jesus. But unfortunately, a lot of people think this way. This is the exact same reason people in the Catholic Church go to a priest. People in the Catholic Church take their sins not to Jesus, but to a priest. They confess to a priest. The priest is the one who's going to tell them how to get back into God's good graces. The priest is the one who's going to intercede for them. They think that they can be right with God and regain access to God through the priest. And I want you to hear me very clearly on this this morning, church. You do not need a mediator for the mediator. Do you understand me? You do not need a mediator for the mediator. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 2, 5, there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. You don't need to go to a priest. You don't need to take your sins to a priest. You don't need to ask the priest to go to God on your behalf. You don't need it. There's one mediator between God and men, and it is the man, Jesus Christ. You do not need a mediator for the mediator. If you are a Christian, you have Jesus. 
And, and so listen to me on this. No pastor or priest or evangelist or bishop or worship pastor can give you access to God. None of them can take you into the presence of God. Only Jesus can do that. Listen, I can pray for you, and I do, every single week. I, I, can, I can pray for you. I can teach you the Bible. I can try to help you understand the faith. I can share the gospel with you. There's a lot that I can do for you. But as much as I want to, I cannot give you access to God. I can't do it. That comes only through Jesus. Access to the Father comes only through the Son, which is why Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the what, church? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. So this is the great news about being a Christian. It means that all believers, whether you're a pastor, whether you've been to seminary, whether you can barely read, all believers have equal access to God because it comes through Christ. And I know that's hard to believe sometimes though, right? Especially when you think about the great heroes of the faith and how close they were to God and all that God did through them and their ministries. It's hard to believe we have that same access, right? I mean, you think about Charles Spurgeon, you think about Adoniram Judson, you think about Billy Graham, Lottie Moon. I mean, you think about all these great heroes of the faith, and you're tempted to think, well, they must have had some sort of special connection. <laughs> you know, they must have had some sort of special access to God that I just don't have. Can I encourage you this morning by reminding you that the same access to God that all the heroes of the faith had is the same access to God you have today? Isn't that encouraging? That Billy Graham did not have some sort of access to God that you do not have if you are a Christian. You have the exact same access. The difference is they utilize their access. I'm tempted to say the primary difference between us and the great heroes of the faith is that they never failed to utilize their access to God. The great Martin Luther, he said this, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. <laughs> now that's a great way to look at life, is it not? I've got a lot to do, so much that I better spend the first three hours in prayer. My question to you is, are you utilizing your access to God like that? Are you actually making use of the fact that you have access to the Father? Listen, if you're here this morning and you might be saying, I feel disconnected from God today, Pastor. If that's you and you're feeling disconnected to God, can I just tell you this morning, it's not because you lack access to God, it's because you're not using the access Jesus has already given you. It's not because you lack access. You're just not using the access that Jesus has already given you. But He has given you access to the Father, and this is a benefit of salvation that He wants you to embrace and enjoy. And the good news is, church, listen to me, not only do we have access to God Himself, but Paul is going to say here that we have access to God's provisions as well. I want you to see here that all believers have equal access to God's provisions. So we have access to the person of God and the provisions of God. Notice what Paul says there in verse 2. He says that we have access by faith into this what? Into this grace in which we stand. 
We have access to grace, church. The way that the author to the Hebrews wrote it was like this in Hebrews 4.16. Let us then with confidence. Can you imagine? The God that you've been separated from throughout all of redemptive history. The Bible says, go to him with confidence. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and to help in time of need. That's amazing, is it not? The Bible is saying there, if you're a Christian this morning, you have an open invitation to the throne of grace. That you, as a sinner, redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ, can go boldly and confidently into the very presence of God Himself. Here's my question to you, though. If that is true, and we have that kind of access, and we have that invitation, why don't we do it? Why don't we actually go? I think there are a couple reasons. It made me think of the fact that Occasionally, whenever we have free time once every four years, Anna and I like to go and uh, do these escape rooms. I don't know if you've ever heard about these, but you literally pay someone to lock you in a room for an hour. So uh, that's where we spend our money. But in the room, there's a mystery to solve, and there's a bunch of clues to try to figure out, and you're trying to get out in one hour. That's what you have, one hour to try to get out of this room. And they say, you've got three hints. If you need help at any point during the room, you've got access to this resource, these three hints, and we can help you. Well, let me tell you what happens. We will spend 20 minutes not having an idea what we're supposed to do. We would rather waste half our time than possibly reach out and say, I'll use one of those hints now. Even if we don't know what we're supposed to be solving, what the next clue is, what the mystery's even talking about, we could be standing there just looking up and we would rather waste 30 minutes than just say, okay, I'll take a hint now. Why is that? You can say it, it's fine. It's pride, right? <laughs> it's pride. We want to prove we can get out on our own, that we can get out faster than anybody else has gotten out and that we don't need your help getting us out of this room. You can keep your hints. We can do it ourselves. Can I just tell you this morning, I think pride is one of the main things that keeps us from going to the throne of grace as well. You agree, church? I mean, I think pride is one of the main things that keeps us from going to the throne of grace. Because after all, I think this applies to everyone in here. We're Americans, right? Oh man, we're born with that do-it-yourself mentality, right? We're born with that pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstraps mentality. We're born with the, I can just put my nose to the grind and accomplish it on my own mentality. I'm American and I don't need anybody else's help. And if we're not careful, that mentality can easily slip into our faith as well. We can begin to think that we're strong enough to get ourselves through our trials. We can begin to think that we're wise enough to figure out all of life's complexities we can begin to think that we're resilient enough to endure all that life could possibly throw at us. In our pride, we think that we can handle it all on our own, and so we don't go to the throne of grace because we say, I don't need to go to the throne of grace. I can do it myself. I can figure it out myself. I don't need anybody's help. Let's be careful that we don't mistake American principles for Christian principles. Let's let the two be separate when they need to be separate.
Because the Bible actually says that you aren't strong enough, that you aren't wise enough, that you aren't resilient enough. And the good news is for you, church, listen to me, God doesn't expect you to be. God doesn't expect you to be. He expects you to rely on Him. And so understand this this morning, a life void of prayer is a life filled with pride. A life void of prayer is a life filled with pride. I want you to just think about your own life for a moment. How often are you going to the throne of grace? When's the last time you've been there? Now, I'm sure you probably pray before every meal. You probably pray before bed. But is that really going to the throne of grace? Or just saying, God, please don't let this fried chicken kill me this time. Is that really going to the throne of grace? When's the last time you truly went to the throne of grace and said, God, I need you. I need you right now. I need grace. I need mercy. I need strength. I need endurance, Lord. I want to just tell you this morning that if you look at your life and you see that it's void of prayer, it's because it's filled with pride. Whether you're, you realize that or not, or whether you're ready to admit that or not, if you have a life that is void of prayer, it's because it's filled with pride. You're living as though you don't need God and that life is manageable on your own. But listen, the Bible says God will humble the proud, doesn't it? And boy, does he not have a way of showing us just how much we need him every second of every day. I remember the very first thing I learned in seminary was how much I needed to know in order to be an effective minister. The very first thing I learned in full-time ministry was how much I needed to pray in order to be an effective minister. I can't tell you how many times, and Anna can attest to this, I can't tell you how many times I have thrown my hands up and said, Lord, I can't do this. Lord, I can't do this. This is too much for me. This is too much for any one person. God, I'm not strong enough for this. God, I can't do this on my own. God, I need you. I can't tell you how many hours I have spent on my, in my office on my knees and in prayer and in tears for this church. I can't tell you how often you have to go to the throne of grace. A pastor cannot be who he is called to be and do what he is called to do without frequently going to the throne of grace. And let me just say, neither can you. If you're a Christian here this morning, you cannot be who you're called to be and you cannot do what you're called to do if you are not frequenting that throne of grace. You need God and His help. You've heard people say, God will never give you more than you can handle. It's an absolute lie and you should not believe it. That is an absolute lie. God will always give you more than you can handle. If God didn't give you more than you can handle, you would be entirely reliant on yourself. But the fact that He gives you more than you could ever handle, it teaches you to be reliant on Him. So listen to me. Don't make life harder than it has to be. Don't let pride keep you from utilizing the resources that God has given you. Go to that throne of grace. Go with boldness. Go with confidence. Get the grace and the mercy from your Father who wants to give it to you. Pride will keep us from going to that throne, will it not? But it's not the only thing, is it? I think there's something else that's just as common today that keeps us from going to the throne of grace 
as pride does. It reminds me of the hymn writer, Robert Robinson. I've actually told you his story before, and it was great that Mary Sue and Jaden played Come Thou Fount. I didn't even ask for that, so it's a, it's a God thing that it happened. Robert Robinson is the man who wrote Come Thou Fount, and he wrote it during a time in his life when God was blessing him. Life was good. Everything was going right. He was in ministry, and he just saw that the hand of the Lord was upon him. And you remember in that hymn, there's the line that says, Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of endless praise. Amazing hymn. Well, shortly after he wrote that hymn, ministry became increasingly tougher for him. Life became hard. The pressures of ministry became too much, and he eventually walked away. And then he started falling back into sin. You know the line in the hymn, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. By the time he was an old man, that's exactly what he had done. He was on the very fringes of the faith, if you could say he was there at all. And he was a miserable old man, and one day he was sitting on a bench, and he was sitting next to a woman, and the woman was reading a hymn book. And she said, Sir, do you mind if I read you one of the hymns that I just read? It was Come Thou Fount. And he starts weeping bitterly, pouring tears. And he said, ma'am, I'm the man who wrote that hymn many years ago now. And I would do almost anything to feel the joy now that I knew then. He just weeps bitterly. And she looks at him and she says, sir, the streams of mercy that you write about here, still flow today. The streams of mercy that you write about here still flow today. Here's my concern as a pastor. I worry that there are many here this morning and in our world today who are allowing their own guilt and shame to keep them from going back to the throne of grace. I worry that maybe like Robert Robinson, you see sin in your life is starting to pile up again. I worry that you look at your own life and you see that you've started to fall back into old habits. That you see that you're starting to tolerate sin more and more in your life. You were doing good for a while, but now you're tolerating it more and more. And it's piling up and now you're starting to excuse it and justify it and make excuses for it. And you are overwhelmed with the feeling of guilt and shame and you cannot believe you've done it again. You, you feel like Paul in Romans 7 who says, Lord, the things I want to do, I don't do those things. And the things I don't want to do, those are the things I do. Who says every time I want to do good, I find that sin is right there next to me. I can't stop it. And you feel like because of that guilt and that shame, you can't go back to the throne of grace. How could you? You say, God will never accept me back. God won't welcome me back this time. It's too much. I've failed too many times. Can I just tell you this morning, God can handle your shame better than you can. God can handle your shame better than you can. I know that we all struggle. I know that we are all, as Robert Robinson said, prone to wonder. Don't you feel it? Prone to leave the God we love. And I know that the weight of that guilt and that shame can be so overwhelming that it can convince us that we cannot go back to God. I want to remind you what the Bible says this morning. Lamentations chapter 3. 
the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Praise God for that. Amen. No matter what your sin looks like, no matter how many times you've wandered, no matter how many times you have given up on your own love for God, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Listen, his mercies never come to an end. You cannot possibly drain the river of God's mercy dry. It never comes to an end. What does the Bible say there? They are new every morning. You cannot exhaust God's mercy. Your sin cannot outdo God's mercy. They're never ending. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Oh, amen for that, church. I don't know how thankful you are for that, but I know as a sinner, I'm very thankful for that. That I cannot exhaust God's mercies, that they never come to an end. I want to tell you this morning, church, those streams of mercy still flow for you today. God has new mercies for you today. And so listen to me, God can handle your shame a lot better than you can. Turn it over to Him. As children of God, we have an open invitation to the throne of grace. And we don't have to worry about receiving wrath there, do we, church? Because Paul says we're standing in grace. We have an entirely new position with God. We're no longer under law and wrath. We are standing in grace as His children. Yes, He does discipline His children as all good fathers do. But He loves to lavish grace upon His children. And He invites us to embrace this benefit and enjoy it. I think the Puritan Thomas Watson said it best. He said, Jesus Christ went more willingly to the cross than we do to the throne of grace. That's astonishing, is it not? Jesus Christ went more willingly to the cross than we do to the throne of grace. Listen, don't let that be the case for you today, church. Don't let pride or shame keep you from that throne of grace. If you are in Christ, you have a new standing with God. You are no longer an enemy of God, but a child of God. You're no longer under law and wrath. You are under mercy and grace. You're no longer separated from God, but you have been brought near by the blood of the cross. Justification has ended our separation. We have access to the Father through the Son. We have an open invitation, so let us go to that throne of grace. Let us receive and embrace those new mercies every day. Let us go to the Heavenly Father for mercy and grace and help in times of need. The Father eagerly awaits you today. This benefit is yours in Christ, so embrace it and enjoy it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.